everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning, dear sauntering friends, and uh, welcome. It's a lovely sunny day, and we're sauntering in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. So we're going to pray, ask the Lord to help us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. And we invite you to speak to our hearts and shape us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Super duper. Good morning, Kathy. So we are on chapter nine today. And the Apostle Paul is, uh, he's kind of slightly changed tack. Now, I don't know whether he's still responding to um, things that, people had written to him in his in their letter to him because he's that was what he was doing before wasn't he he was responding to questions people had asked and uh, now he sort of kicks in with a robust um kind of defense but is interesting because it's not anyway we'll we'll read it so rather than me start trying to overdo the introduction so he says verse 1 he says am i not free am i not an apostle Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so he's saying, listen, I am an apostle. I'm a sent one of Jesus Christ. You know it more than anybody else, because I'm the one who brought the gospel to you and the church in Corinth is there because of me and my ministry largely. Now, it's difficult to say things like that without sounding like you're crowing. Buenos dias, Flor. Good morning, Alison. And uh, so (laughs) this does sound a little bit kind of like Paul's in a corner and he's trying to fight his way out. Good morning, Sally. Um, But he says, listen, am I not free? I'm a free man. I'm out there. I know what I don't have to do this, but yet he does have to do it because he'll tell us that in a minute. But he he's been commandeered his whole life, if you like, has been commandeered by Jesus Christ. And now he's an apostle. He's a sent one. But he's he's saying, listen, I've seen Jesus. I, I I didn't I didn't just hear about him. I've actually seen him. Now, we know that when he was on his donkey and he was going to um, uh, forgotten Damascus to round up Christians to to throw them in prison, that God met him in the road and Jesus spoke to him and he was saying, Lord, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm 
I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And so Jesus actually met with Paul and spoke with him. And so he says, this is one of my credentials, for goodness sake. And he says, and, and then you're my workmanship. You know, you're, you're a product of my ministry. And he says, so if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then he says, this is my defence to those who would examine me. So I guess he's been, kind of feels like he's got to justify himself. It's like they've pushed him into a bit of a corner. And who is this Paul anyway? Why do we have to listen to him or whatever? And he says, this is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, that's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves, so who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And he's saying, listen, Other apostles, other itinerant ministries get to travel. They get to take along their wife with them. It would seem that Peter was married and had a wife and she went with him when he went ministering, which is fabulous. It's so good to be able to take your spouse along with you when you're um, on a ministry trip and to minister together as a team. And so Paul was saying, listen, why... Why is it just Barnabas and I who are singled out for criticism? And I, I think the equivalent of the social media network was buzzing with criticisms of Paul and Barnabas and saying, yeah, I don't know, we can only imagine the kind of um, cheap shots that were tried, you know, that were brought against Paul and Barnabas and his little team. Um And I'm sure people were saying things like, yeah, Paul, I bet he's loaded. I bet he's got a really lovely house back in wherever, you know, and he's got this lifestyle and he just does this because he fancies himself or thinks he's important or some, you know, all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, it tires me out when I hear people criticising preachers and ministers about their lifestyle or about this or that. And I kind of think, you don't even know them. Just please stop it. You're judging by superficial means. I think the person who is kind of... I I, I may draw the line at having a private jet. (laughs) Haven't, Haven't reached anything like those dizzy heights. So, But the point is that... We don't know where these people get their money from and I think we should just kind of believe the best until the evidence is in our face and trust that these are servants of God. If they're preaching the authentic gospel and not adding a load of spin to it and making it a means to get rich, we should honour those who serve the Lord and put themselves out there to preach the gospel. It it Once you stick your head above the parapet and become a public figure as a lot of these people are they do come in for all kinds of horrible criticism and slanderous accusations so we need to just guard our hearts against letting that kind of stuff fly off and certainly when we're engaged in, I mean the poor footballers at the moment are having a load of jip aren't they on social media um 
And the, oh, anyway, that's a separate issue. But the Paul's, Paul's obviously come in for some flack from some people. And he's saying we, we could perfectly legitimately um, expect an income from the ministry that we're doing. And I think if we look at Paul's output and his diligence and his hard work in service, you would think of all people, surely Paul should be paid to do what he was doing. But there was something in Paul that refused to do, refused to ask for money for himself for pe- from people that he was ministering to. And but he says he makes some great statements and he uses some great analogies. So if anyone has got a problem with paying preachers or paying ministers to serve among the church, you should read this because it's hard to get out of it without realizing, yeah, they, that is a legitimate thing for a minister to be paid. Now I don't have to try and justify what I'm paid, and thank God that somebody. Um, decided some years ago that that I would be hallelujah that has been a great blessing and it means my family get to eat and stuff like that which is really really good so he says who serves as a soldier at his own expense who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk so he's just saying come on guys this is just common sense you know I'm not a civilian I'm serving as a soldier for Jesus I would expect to be able to live off of my pay and the Roman soldiers they got paid and everybody knew that so he says um you know in the farmer they they eat what they grow don't they partly they sell it as well and they eat what they grow um let me just stop that plinking away there um, right. So he says, um, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while he treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Do we not even more? So that Paul quotes the scripture in Deuteronomy, do not muzzle an oxen while it's treading out the grain. And so what they would do is they would have all the ears of corn on the threshing floor. And one of the ways that they would get separate the the grain from the husk and the ear, you know, from the actual ear that that kind of all the little seeds are in, was to have an oxen that would go round and round and round in circles and its pointy kind of heavy feet with pointy toes would crush and just dislodge the corn from the husk. And that was a, a well-known method of getting the, of separating the corn from the ear. And he said, but actually the, the, the law that you're also well versed in actually says don't muzzle the oxen while it's doing its job. Let it eat some of the grain that it's kind of threshing. 
and that's important. That is humane. That's kind to the animal. And it comes from this recognition that the animals that serve us need to be fed. <laughs> now, maybe preachers and ministers and um, pastors and all the rest of it don't want to be thought of as animals <laughs> who have to be fed. But they do have to eat, don't they? And uh, we we all get hungry, whether we're a pastor or a uh I don't know, a sales rep or a, I don't know, seamstress. Okay, so here we go. So we all get hungry and Paul says, listen, it's in the law. Now, God didn't write that for the oxen because the oxen can't read, obviously. He he wrote it as a guideline for the nation of Israel to teach them to be humane and to consider their animals. I love that. I love that they had to consider their farm animals and treat them well. This was compassion in farming. This was God's initiative. They should be looking after their animals properly and equally. Churches uh, need to look after the ministers and make sure that they are supported well and not impoverished. I think it's a shame when um, ministers are pinched out of, you know, a, a reasonable living because the church hasn't got any money. What a load of rubbish. What a load of rubbish. And if if the church is poor, it needs to go on its face to God and ask for the key to what's what's gone wrong because God is not poor. <laughs> God is not poor. And do you know what? One thing I really, really, really don't like is... Oh, <laughs> it's all right for them because they live in a rich town or whatever. Stop it. It's all right for the Americans because they got more money. Stop it. Let's be generous with what we have. Let oh, now I'm on a rant. I'll pull it in. I'll rein it in. So he says, "Is it for God? That, is it for oxen that God is concerned?" Well, yes, he is. But he, did he write? It's not. Did he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake. And he's Paul saying this was written not particularly for the oxen. It was written for us and for us to understand a principle of God that we look after those who serve us. And then he says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he's saying, look, we've sowed into you something of infinitely greater value than money. So is it not appropriate then that you share some of your material wealth with us and actually help us to do what we're called to do? Send us on our way with some help. And he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. So what he's saying is particularly us, Barnabas and I, because we have brought the gospel to you and, um, you know, or my team and I, I don't know if it was Barnabas in Corinth, I can't remember now. Um, but he says, do, do we not have a greater claim on this because we're connected with you? We're the life source that got you going. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of 
Christ. Now, this really spoke to me the other day. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So what we're trying to do, whoopsie, what Paul's saying here is, listen, I don't want anything. I don't want there to be anything that I've done to hinder people hearing the gospel or hearing what I'm saying because of my lifestyle. So I take great care in how I conduct myself among you, Paul's saying, and among the churches and in the nations, because I don't want there to be one single thing that people can say, oh, well, I, I would have believed, but I looked at the way Paul was doing blah, blah, blah. You know, for example, I would have listened to this guy, but then I saw him yelling at his wife and I thought, nah, I, I, I can't hear from you because, yeah. And so the receptors are switched off. And Paul's saying, I don't, I, I take such care about how I live. He said, we endure, we put up with, we live through anything rather than putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And this is really at Paul's heart. So what he's doing here, he's not trying to get money out of these people. He's trying to say, listen to me, see my heart. And if we could see what he's doing here, when he talks, um, I think in which chapter was it? He talks um, about he's after their un... Gosh, their unhindered devotion to Jesus. And that's what Paul is looking for in the people. He wants them to be able to imitate him and imitate his values. That's why he opens his heart up in this way. It's not because he's trying to extract money. He's actually just saying, listen, guys, look at me. Look at the heart in me. Look at the way. Look, this is why I do things the way I do, because. And he's that he's going after that. Un, unfiltered, unhindered devotion to Jesus. And he's trying to make disciples, even if they're not 100% like him, that they've caught his heart and they live according to the values that Paul's um, demonstrated. And he's saying, like, I don't just want to be talking it, I want to demonstrate it. So the reason I'm not asking for money all the time is because I'm demonstrating to you that the gospel is free, for goodness sake. And so he says, um, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And this is really important for us who, who um, serve in any form of ministry that we realise we once we're in ministry of any description, once we have any visibility, once we've named the name of Jesus in public, we are on display and every aspect of our lives is scrutinised because people want it to be real, they want it to be authentic, they don't want a load of baloney, they don't want a load of talk, they don't want a load of hypocrisy, they want the real deal. And so when they look at us and scrutinise us, scrutinise us, that's what they're looking for, they, they're looking for reality. And so... Um, and, and authenticity is an overused word, but it's an important one. 
He says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so Paul's saying, listen, you're very accustomed to the priestly order. You've seen how it works. The priests and the Levites and the people who serve in the temple community and make all of that happen don't actually go out and have jobs. They don't put their shirt and tie on and go off to work. They serve within the the whole kind of atmosphere of worship and sacrifice and all the stuff cleaning up and all the practical aspects of that. There's, where you have animals, you have dung. There's always a lot of dung where there's animals. Someone had to clear all that up. When you kill an animal, it bleeds a lot. All of that had to be dealt with. It was a massive, massive industry around the sacrifices and all the rest of it. And the people who served in that, they ate the meat that was sacrificed. That was part of the deal. Some of it was completely burned up, but a lot of it was boiled and then the uh, priests and Levites could eat it and so on. And people brought offerings to the Lord and the priests and Levites lived off of that. And Paul's saying it's always been that way. And did the Lord not command us that those, he says, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Now, Jesus didn't exactly say those exact words on record, but we do have him saying um, that that a workman or work person is worthy of their food. And in Matthew 10, 10. So he's, he was, Jesus was very explicit. And when he said, when he sent them out, he said, eat what is set before you. It's like, there will be hospitality coming your way because of this. And there will be people who I will touch their hearts and make them provide for you and move them to provide for you. Um, Because what you're doing is a legitimate, important work. Therefore, you need to be provided for. So that's what the Lord said. So verse 15, he says, I've made no use of any of those rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So he's saying, I'm not asking for your money. This is, you've got to understand. And people read this and they think, oh, it's Paul asking for money, putting on the pressure. No, it's not. He's just saying, I want you to understand my heart. I want you to have the same heart in you. Do you remember where Paul said, is it not better to suffer wrong rather than go to court against your brother? And this is the same Paul. This is the same thing that he's talking about when he said about agape that builds the house. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about a value system which is sacrificial, which is a life laid down, which is, and we'll see in a moment how he how he articulates that because it's, it's beautiful. But he's saying, this is what I want from you. I want this spirit to be in you, this heart to be in you. I'm not asking for you money. So he says, I'm not writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die (laughs) than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Um, for For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. So he says, if I'm just preaching, well, yeah, sure, that's great, that's important, but it doesn't give me grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. He says, I I can't help myself. It's like necessity is laid upon me. I'm constrained to do this by God. So he says, 
in, on the one on the one hand, he's saying, "Ah, oh, I'm free to do this," and on the other hand, he's saying, "No, I'm not free to do this." He's saying <laughs> he's mixing it up a bit, but anyway, the logic. But he says, "For necessity is laid." But Paul's boast is that he can bring it free of charge, and he'll build tents and do what he can work with his hands among the people and demonstrate hard work and then still preach the gospel and still get out there and do the thing and he, because he wants to be able to boast. He says, I, it, it's not necessary that I should have to work, but I like the fact that I can then say, yes, and you got this entirely free, the message of the gospel. Right, okay. So he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. It's like this is bigger than me. It's on me. It's a burden I cannot shake off. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with, with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he's saying if someone was paying me to do this, it, I, it wouldn't be a reward, would it? It would just be I'm doing what I'm paid to do. There's no reward in that. I, I'm just getting my pay. And that's what he's been arguing for. But he's saying actually in my case, I love that I can come and make it free because that is my reward. My reward is that I've worked hard among you and given you something which is so beautiful and life-changing and glorious and I've been able to give it to you free of charge. I hope that makes sense. It is a kind of round and round a bit, round, round and round in circles a bit. But um, So verse 19 for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he says, though actually I'm free, I have made myself a servant. I've made myself a doulos, a bond slave. I've renounced my rights and voluntarily submitted myself as a servant of you and of people. He says, though I am free from all, so like nobody owns me, I'm not receiving a paycheck from anybody, I'm not anybody's employee, yet I have, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. I voluntarily made myself a servant to all. And that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? He humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. And he, then he says that I might win more of them people. So he's come as a servant to win people. Verse 20 says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he said, I took all, I, you know, observed all the customs and whatnot for you guys who are Jews and live under the law. I wanted to show you that I respect the law. I honor the law in every single way because I want to win those who are still Jews, who are still living under the law. Then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. So he says, I did, I, you know, he's he demonstrated, didn't he, that he could um, he could have great friendship and fellowship with people who were not Jews or not circumcised. He championed the Gentile church, didn't he? And he stood up to the people who wanted to have them circumcised and make them sort of like proselyted Jews. He 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 stood up to all of that pressure and he championed them. So he became like one outside of the law. That although he's not under, you know, because he's under Christ. Anyway, so we won't get into that whole thing because that we did that in Romans. <laughs> You can refer back to what we said in Romans. Verse 32, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Now that's what that gets quoted a lot, doesn't it? Oh, all things to all men. That doesn't mean we just agree with everything. It just means that we try to make ourselves as accessible as possible. I really, really do not like religious kind of talk. Um, that drives people away from the simple truth of the gospel. I don't want to go around and be a kind of falsely pious person who talks in religious jargon all the time um, and makes people feel like it doesn't apply to them. I want to make it simple. I want to be as accessible. I want to be able to be a friend of the people that we meet through soul food and people that just are perhaps in a very low place in terms of status. I want to be able to talk to people who are educated and smart and still have something to say, but I, I want to be able to be um, understood and accessible and credible. Not that I try and go around to, pr tr to prove my credibility all the time, try and be relevant, but that Somehow there's that willingness to embrace that person and make the effort to connect with them where they're at. And, and Paul says, listen, I've done I've done all these things. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news that I may share with them in its blessings. He said, I want to be, all of us to be having this great big party, sharing in the blessings that come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, wrapping up, he says, verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the price? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That was what they won in their races, was a wreath of um, laurel, um, bay leaves. But we an imperishable. So our wreath, our reward is imperishable. It like It's eternal. It lasts forever. Verse 26, he says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And this is really, really important. I remember when our children um, were in the swimming club and then they would have a swimming gala and you'd have these little five-year-olds and six-year-olds competing in the big swimming pool 
against each other and they would get disqualified if their breaststroke legs were wrong. And you kind of think, oh, that's a bit harsh. But this is a rate, this is, they, they were training young swimmers to be able to swim properly. And if they said, yeah, that's all right, they're trying hard, you know, bless them, they're so cute. Um, they, <laughs> this was a tough gig. They were going to, they were training them to be able to swim properly. And they can, each of my children can swim really well, way better than me, because they learn properly and had that discipline. And Paul says, I run purposely the whole ministry that I perform I do it purposely I'm I'm like an athlete who's always trying to get better who's disciplining their body and I think it's really interesting that Paul says I buffet my body I I I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified and I think of all the things that come against us as a servant of God. Our body is one of the things that has its own agenda. And Paul says, I, I have to keep that body in check so that it, as it kind of desires its own agenda, whatever that may be, it doesn't disqualify me from my prize. And I think it's so interesting and so important that even uh, someone who we might say was at the top of their game like the Apostle Paul, he was an athlete in, in spiritual terms. He was a true athlete at the top of his game, yet he was always aware that he could fall and be disqualified. And we've seen some real, real tragedies going back to public, well-known preachers who have reached what seems to be the top of their game, and yet they haven't kept their own body in check and now have found that their whole ministry has been discredited, even in some recent cases just after they've died. Everything they've built has been called into question by failing to uh, keep their own bodies in check. And so brothers and sisters, any, any one of us, whether we think we're in public ministry or not, let's run with purpose, let's discipline ourselves to be holy so that when we've preached to others, we're not disqualified ourselves. Whew. What a long, what a toughie that is. It's a, good, it's a good word, but Jesus, help us today and let us run as those who are competing to win a prize for your namesake, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have an awesome day, everyone. Bless you.